Hi, I'm Yushuan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Um, today, Con, today we're talking about something that's that's you know really close to our hearts, and it's a big one. But it's we, we want to get into you know it's it's topics that from from creating this podcast we've set out to to tackle and talk about, and it's to do with the value of sports, but also the power of sport. You know, the power for it to enact social change and and the power of sport within within the world of philanthropy and i think it's an especially important topic at the moment and i think we live in a very growingly polarized world in society and you know there's so many inequalities and atrocities that we see like you know we, we turn on the news and we see ukraine and, and the refugee crisis and things like that and sports i think is is definitely not immune to this um Anyway, to start off quite morbid, but <laughs> today we're really lucky to have with us Tim Harper, who is the founder and director of Equity Sport, an international charity that works to advance equality and extend opportunities in and through global sport. Tim, thank you for being here. No, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Um, to kick things off, before we get into these these big and beefy topics, like tell us about yourself. Tell us tell us your background and, and how you got you know, your interests in sport and, and eventually how that consequentially led to, to setting up this charity and tell us a bit about equity sport and what you do. Sure. So, I mean, I came into what I do now and probably in a bit of a bit of a strange way. Um, so I'm a, I'm a physiologist by training. And then um, after uni, I went into um, strength and conditioning uh, within sort of professional rugby. And I did that for sort of eight or nine years, sort of climbing the ranks, working in, in as I say, in, in rugby mostly, um, going into sort of performance roles where I was sort of managing sports science, S&C and, and, and sports medicine departments. Um, and as I said, I did that for sort of eight or nine years. And I was very tunnel visioned about sort of what I wanted to do um, in sport. It was all about elite sport. It was all about winning. It was all about um, sort of being off the back of sort of performance science. Um and then I'd say sort of about sort of five or six years ago, um, the bubble kind of burst for me and I became very disillusioned with with sport in general, um, with the kind of, I guess it's kind of that, when you've been doing something for so so intensely for, for so long, you start asking yourself some questions as to sort of why you're doing it and, and, and whether it matters and sort of these big existential crisis, uh, crises kind of questions. And... Uh, as I say, I became, became quite disillusioned with, with sport and uh, and how it was kind of structured. And, and I think that some of the values that I had kind of wanted to believe in maybe weren't, the rhetoric didn't match with the reality, um, particularly when you look at it from a global perspective. Um, and in the midst of this, um, I met my partner who is uh, was was raised in South Africa, but is, is Zambian and Zimbabwean. Um, uh, from her heritage and, and I was exposed to a few uh, experiences um, overseas which kind of really kind of catapulted me away from what I was doing in, in SNC, what I was doing in elite sport uh, and made me sort of wonder about what I could do uh, differently um, and so I kind of toyed around with the idea of doing something else what could I do around this kind of equality issue around this kind of equal opportunity space um, and I very quickly realized that I didn't know anything. Um, I was completely underqualified to do any of this. Uh, and so I, I went through a bit of a journey of, of training and, and studying and um, leaning unbelievably heavily on those already in the sector who continue to support today um, to really kind of navigate away from that world and into a kind of new world, which is, I guess, what I'm kind of doing now. And so I've been part of some social enterprises and then uh, a couple of years ago kind of equi sport came into existence and as you kind of mentioned in your intro our mission is essentially to uh to advance equality promote diversity and, and extend equal opportunity in and through global sport and i know that's a bit of a mouthful um 
but essentially that's what we what we do we're a charity based here in the uk but we're we look at this issue from a global perspective um, and our approach is maybe a little bit different to um, a lot of others in this space who tend to take a kind of policy making uh, approach we're very much um so values led so we want to kind of impact and influence the overarching culture of sport um and kind of re i guess re-engage sport with the values that it states are its are its core kind of core principles um so that's kind of the very quick version of, of how i got here yeah, today but yeah. it's, it's probably a little bit different to how you'd expect someone sort of running a charity would would be i know that's amazing and, and like just quickly i saw I didn't realize this about you either, but when you said that you you worked in strength and conditioning, I just saw Connor's eyes light yeah. up. I was like, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's that's amazing, and obviously you guys are doing some amazing work at the moment. And a few things I want to pick up on with what what you just said is, like, first of all, I really relate with when you said um, when you first started working in sport, and and a lot, and then a lot of those values and those rhetorics that we would that would like drilled into us started breaking down as we start to understand the world around us and I, I don't know if you agree but for me some of those are like you know sports is equal for everyone um, yeah level playing field you know you go on there with everyone has the same same goals and and you put everything aside and play sport and whilst that is maybe true within a game that for sure isn't true to the greater in the greater society where where sports inhabits right and and i think you know to say that sports is um it shouldn't get involved in politics it's apolitical and and that it's a separate thing in itself but you know i think that's not it doesn't like you say it doesn't reflect the reality that we're in and it's not helpful to the reality and so to to go from that like what what are the values in sports or what what should be the sort of shared values in sports that you talk about and you try to promote well this is a really interesting question and, and a really interesting framing in the sense of what should they be i mean i don't get to decide that i don't think any of us really get to decide what they are but i think what's really interesting is that um is everything that we talk about at equity sport and, and the kind of things that we're advocating for everything we're saying is written down in black and white in the constitutions and the governing documents of, of almost every single sport on the planet. I think we did some like some loose base research um, a couple of years ago uh, where a volunteer basically trawled through all of the constitutions and governing documents for sports. And almost every single one, like 99.9% like .9 of them have huge sections devoted to this idea of equality and diversity and equal opportunity. Um, and so if we're gonna talk about it, like in those documents, those governing documents in black and white, then we should probably match the reality with that rhetoric. So yeah. those, for, for us, that's the kind of, that's what we're taking our cue from, is, is, is essentially what, what sport's telling us it's doing already. Um, and we're kind of demanding that, well, that's that's something we, we actually need to, to do. And then I think if you look at kind of the biggest sporting institution as, as the Olympics, and you've got this idea of Olympiaism, um, and the Olympic values, I mean, that is essentially predicated on this idea of, of these principles, these values, these ideals. Um, and so that's really what we're working towards is, is what's written on, on paper. Um, and then from, a, from our perspective, we're kind of honing in on the equality, on the diversity and on the equal opportunity area. And, and, and again, to, to kind of to your point just now, it's sort of like, what I started to struggle with and what I think a lot of people struggle with is, is so often in sport, these things are framed as mission accomplished. Like we are equal or sport is this great leveler or like all those kind of cliches. And it's like, well, is that, is that really the reality? Um, and maybe we could, we could kind of re sort of reassess how we speak about these things. So it's not mission accomplished. I think we have to recognize that like, sport is as much a tool of in, of inequality like entrenching inequality as it is a a vehicle for change um so i think we need to kind of be a bit more real about this stuff um but yeah i think yeah to come back to your, your question i think those shared values are, are are what's written on paper and i think crucially um 
when we talk about shared values, we kind of lean again quite heavily into the kind of Schwartz values map and the global values survey that happens outside of sport. Um, and what amazes sort of me especially is that that research, which is conducted across the world, um, is showing that so I think it's over 75% of people um, place a huge amount of importance in values like universalism and benevolence. Uh, this idea, these kind of values that would sort of foster equality and diversity. But very rarely do we have the opportunity to, to kind of talk about that openly, to, to, to embrace those in our everyday lives, because we've got this kind of um, underlying um, sort of culture and, and, and uh, on a societal level that's enforcing very different values, values relating to sort of of self-interest and, and material gain and the like so um i think yeah shared values is really interesting yeah yeah for sure i mean um i think yeah two bits to that i think so do you think there's a sort of a disconnect at the moment between like you say the values that are actually written down and, and supposedly in black and white entrenched in the missions of of these sports and the governing bodies of these sports do you think that their actions reflect that and also is there a sort of conflict a conflict of interest maybe between promoting and extending those values you know advancing equality um creating opportunities for global sport and, and people around the world is there a conflict between that and like you say again the materialistic gain the the, mm. the fact that sports you know especially big sports like football and 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 every four years when the olympics comes around it's it's a it's a big money game you know yeah. it's, it's people at the top making a shitload of money and maybe it's not in their best interest to 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 step step out of that a little bit and do all these other things um and what you know that because because what you just said really sort of interested me in thinking of it in a new way of which whose responsibility is it to to actually promote these values and 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 you know make sure that they're actually being followed is it is it us is it people like is it you know organizations like equity sport or is it the people who actually write them down in the policy um and i, I know there's a lot in there but it's yeah it's just such a such a, an interesting interesting area no and it really is and i think to your point there about sort of essentially what we're talking about here is is the, the capital capitalistic imprint on sport um and and can that be reconciled with a kind of a really idealistic sort of values framework um there's actually a piece of research that came out just this week um i can't remember the 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 first name of the researcher but it's by um uh, a guy in Selen Chen, and it and his paper is essentially talking about how sport needs to recognise that the elephant in the room, and that is capitalism, um, and the idea that through capitalism and the capitalistic structures that sort of govern our sporting systems, it's kind of engaged very different values to uh, maybe the ones that are that you say, as you say, are kind of written down on paper. And I think that I think the key thing is it is it's converted individual stakeholders so like us three now but also sports fans people who who participate in sport we've been recast not as custodians of sport but as consumers of sport um and that's really persuasive in the sense of you're right like when it comes around to the olympics we're encouraged just to consume the olympics like so let's consume the sport the entertainment that is the sport let's consume all the advertising that comes with it um, and let's not worry too much about anything else when actually so essentially our viewpoint is that well sport should be um so i guess a this kind of really broad church of, of individual stakeholders who all of us are protecting what it means and what it means to us and i think that that is where we've got the avenue to to explore the idealism that for me sport has the opportunity to embrace in ways that other parts of our society don't sport really can say well actually no we're not going to do this in the in the in, in yeah. we're not going to sort of prioritize commercial interests we are going to prioritize common interests we are going to create systems and structures that that do really 
create like like very very real um, equality. So I think that that's um that's a really like yeah really interesting point. And how do we reconcile the kind of hyper commercialization of sport, the hyper capitalization of sport with these ideals? Um, I think it can be done definitely. I hope so. Um, <laughs> and you know I, I think we all want that. But um, and you bring up the Olympics, and I think this is a really good point to to talk a little bit about about the olympics and and how how political they can be or they want to be and you know, what the ioc tries to do and tries not to do and obviously you've written a, a very good piece that was published yesterday in the guardian sort of centered around this but um you know i remember earlier this year the i what but before the beijing olympics um the ioc said that you know the olympics is is apolitical sports is apolitical so they're not going to get involved in in any of the you know the boycotts and things like that um mm. despite a lot of the stuff that was coming out of china and mm. then a couple of months later obviously there's a whole crisis between russia and ukraine and 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 the ioc was one of the, the first i think the first organizations within within sports that have put a ban on Russia. Um, so at the end of the day, I think we need to remember that it is, I guess it is people, you know, people within the IOC, it's people who um, are in those positions of power who make those decisions and um, their vested interests and things like that drive those decisions as to when, when they want to be political and when they want to stay out of it. But mm. I don't know what your views are on, on things, things like that, you know, um, banning countries from competing and banning, banning athletes from those countries from competing. Cause yeah. whilst that makes a political statement, does that, does that achieve anything? And could that be counterproductive in the sense that it is actually creating more inequality? It is mm -hmm. putting more, you know, real lives, um, on the line in terms of people's livelihoods who aren't involved in in their politics um and i think it's quite quite blurred lines and murky waters to to tread but yeah i don't know what your thoughts are on that well i think there are there are a couple of things in there i think the, the very first thing we have to recognize is what how are we defining politics here like because i think sometimes that that's where the kind of confusion comes from if we're defining politics as Sort of party politics, partisan politics, like left versus right, Labour versus Conservatives in the UK, or Democrats and Republicans in the US, then that's a very specific sort of definition of politics. Um, but if we're defining politics as simply the kind of structures and systems that govern our everyday lives, that's a very different sort of kettle of fish. And I think that we, we've got to recognise that, um, and, and again, this is the kind of argument I was making in that piece in The Guardian, is that well, the sport isn't politically neutral, and I think it's, it's disingenuous to suggest it. To suggest it is because political neutrality is, would mean that there's there's no it is completely impartial and it has no influence um, over or because of sort of ideology or attitude or bias, um, and that's that's ridiculous. Um, and and I think that the actions since you, uh, the Ukraine uh, crisis has shown that sport picks a side. Um, and this time it's been it's been really obvious, but it's been picking sides for a long, long time. Um, it, it, it's things like during the Euros, there was that German stadium that wanted to, to illuminate the stadium in the, in the pride flag. Um, I think it was when Hungary were playing or something. Um, and, it, and it was this big kind of hubbubaloo about it and stuff. But um, and, and even people who are against the politicization of sport were like, well, this this is this is really good because like it's it's sort of um it's sort of in, really enlightened we have to accept that um however enlightened these these viewpoints are they are political in their in their nature because they're not universally accepted around the world there are still people around the world who who, who are homophobic or against um same-sex marriage and relationships and the like so um I, I think that that's one side of it is is defining what we mean by politics in sport but I think the most important question is that we've got to get beyond whether sports political or not, because I think it is. And I think that any argument against that is really difficult to weave even now. Um, 
But I think what we've got to start having conversations about, and it's to your point there, is, is how is sport going to be political? Because we can't just play with people we like, and we can't just uh, have a sporting world that essentially mirrors Euro-American values or our values framework. We can't have this idea that we kind of play judge and jury about who's right and who's wrong. Um, because as you say, do we throw out North Korea? Do we throw out like any country that's that's run by a dictator? Do we run uh, any any country that's guilty of human rights abuses that we'd say, oh, we don't play with you anymore. Um, and then we create this kind of bizarrely exclusive sporting world. And I don't think that's the way forward, but I think that we do have to lean into some nuance and some complexity. Um, but the problem there is that sport doesn't like that because sport is so binary. It's win, lose, man versus woman. We like very binary decisions and very binary choices. But actually, the future of sport is going to be based around complexity. And it's going to be about, OK, well, let's let's navigate these really complex issues. Um, and to hark back to, to our position as a, as a charity, that's for us where values come into play. Um, and it's for leaders in sport and these organizations like the IOC and FIFA to say, listen, we understand that sport is political. We understand that the future of sport is going to continue to be politicized. But our role is to say the way in which it's going to be politicized is that we're going to make sure that we stay true to our stated values. So the idea of universalism, the idea of benevolence, the idea of equality and equal opportunity. And that's going to be our guiding principle. And that's how we're going to make decisions around these things. Um, but I, I mean, I think that the key message here is that we don't know what this looks like in 50 years time and 100 years time. But to pretend that it's not happening is just is crazy. We need to be having these conversations. We need to lean into this stuff and say, hey, this is really complex and this is going to be really messy. But let's work through it together. And then hopefully we're going to create a product that that actually maintains some meaning. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, and, and it's great that I think we're all in the midst of having these conversations like Connie you told me the other day about a conversation that you had with a with an organization that you you've been working with yeah so uh we so an organization that I'm working with I won't name just yet because it's not come out kind of publicly so far but uh you know essentially it's based on the the big elephant in the room which is the Russia and Ukraine situation and how do we go about potentially trying to recognize to Russia that this is not a thing that should be done? And I think you both perfectly exemplified it that, you know, sport is not apolitical anymore, but being able to define what that politics is, is so important. And the point that you addressed for me, I was like, yeah, that's, it makes a lot of sense because obviously this for me is not uh, an environment that I am, very well versed in so sitting here listening to that i'm like okay actually now i can kind of begin to understand what the difference is between when someone says sports is political what does that politics mean for us and going back to the point that i was making um essentially the organization was contacted by a few other governing bodies in the sport and um we were kind of corralled into supporting uh ukraine and almost um, putting pressure onto the international federation that runs the sport to ban or at least sanction Russia from competing in in the sport. And so we had a, a meeting about it, and uh, you know, mostly everyone was was in favour. You know, we said, yeah, I think we need to do something. What that is, we're not too sure. Um, but at the end of the day, for us, if we're seen because we're a very small nation if we're seen to not be supporting that movement what does that look like for us does that mean less support as a sport does that mean that we would almost be ostracized as a national governing body and then on the flip side as well and it would be interesting to get into that but on the flip side i made the point and yushuan will know when i first met him I wasn't very, I wasn't a very empathetic person. I always thought things were very black and white, but the more <laughs> you work with individuals and people who either come from less uh, equal opportunities, backgrounds, or maybe more so have uh, opportunities or, or equality, 
I kind of pose the question, guys, do we really realize that we're not just banning Russia? We're actually talking about banning athletes that we knew not two weeks ago at the Olympic Games. Mm. Um, and so we kind of got into a discussion about, you know, it, it's a very difficult decision to make based on the individual level. Um, I hope we've done the right thing. I mean, I feel like I have, but only time will tell. But yeah, what, I mean, what? Obviously, I I don't know. I didn't really pose a question in there, but I kind of just wanted to sort of tell you my personal experience on on something that I've never. It, it was a minefield for me. I was just like, oh, I wasn't. I'm not too sure what to do here. Like, what's the right thing? So, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Tim? Of interest. So, I mean, I guess so to to kind of understand your point. So essentially, there's a there's a concern there that. Um, for example, excluding athletes who've got nothing to do with the situation in Ukraine is ultimately really difficult to do because they've had no individual input on, onto that decision-making and therefore should they, should they be punished for it? Yeah, basically, um, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that is a really difficult thing. But I think that's that's of, of sanctions in general. I think if you see the pictures of, of Russia now and people queuing up at cash points or... Uh, unable to get uh, food in the same way and the stuff. I, essentially, that's why sanctions uh, are, are designed to do in the sense that they're supposed to create an internal pressure or domestic pressure on, on Putin's regime that essentially puts pressure on him that he wouldn't do so much damage to his own people and therefore would change his, his uh, change path. Um, so I think it is really, it's a really difficult line uh, to, to, to tread. I think that when it comes to something uh, in this stage now, I think it's a it's more a sign of a, a show of solidarity to Ukraine than it is a, a punishment of, of of individual Russian Russian athletes. But I, I do get your point, and I think that's kind of what I was alluding to before: is is where is this going in the long term? Um, we can't just um, sort of play with people that we agree with or play the people with with, with, with which we like, um, and we've seen with, in in other areas um, of I guess geopolitics that sport can work uh, to, 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 to kind of build bridges you see the unification of North and South Korea to compete in the Olympics was was for for all the cynicism was a really uh, important thing and was really um, kind of um, uh, well it showed the power of sport in a way um, so I don't know if we have the answer yet as to to okay yeah we are kind of punishing individual athletes but I mean, to, to push it back, it's, it, it's almost a bit like the doping scandals of, of the past with Russia. We ban all of Russian athletes because of state-sponsored uh, doping programs. Is that fair? Mm. Uh, and you could you could definitely make a credible argument to suggest that, of course, it's not fair because there's going to be innocent people tied up in that. And would we accept that kind of justice in outside of sport? Probably not. You wouldn't say, oh, there's there's been a spike of, of murders in Birmingham, so we're going to lock everyone up in Birmingham um it just it wouldn't make any sense and that's kind of the approach we're taking when it comes to russian doping um is okay well there's been a spike of doping or there's this state-sponsored doping therefore everyone we throw the baby out with the bathwater. but i don't think i have a, a particularly uh sort of, sort of succinct answer as to how we protect the innocent from those things because i think that we do have to say we have to make a statement and i think that the statement by the sporting world over the last few weeks has been right to say no this is this is unacceptable and like if you want to play with us then you're going to have to to do something more what i think was really interesting was that russian athlete the, the gymnast um i've forgotten his name now who's wearing that z in the last sort of competition where russian athletes were competing um and again that that kind of plays into the hands of sort of like well, we, these things are the right thing to do right now um, and maybe they do need to have a cooling off period as a as a country competing as Russian Russian athletes. But I, I agree, it's a really it's a really challenging, complex place. Yeah, um, I think you know this all leads back to what we want to talk about, and we can talk about, like you say, we can talk about politics in a sort of really vague, wishy washy term, and in, in, in the Big Brother in the sky. But at the end of the day, like these values that we're working with and these values that we want to be led by are are driven and affected um by 
real people, you know, real people on the ground. And you, you talk a lot about, you know, not just playing with the people we want, basically. But the other side to that is, as well, having, having people play, like pe giving people the opportunity to play, people who otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities. And that's, I think, where um, diversity comes in and, and providing and extending opportunities to people comes in, um, whether that's within certain sports or whether that's using sports to create more opportunities. And I think we could talk about diversity first because they're both quite um, <clears throat> loaded topics, I think. But I feel like within sports and, and a lot of what a lot of say governing bodies are doing uh, to say pr sort of promote diversity and things like that are quite I guess tokenistic values of you know you've, you've got we, we talk about representation a lot and we talk about how the media has to see and I, I can only speak really from the experiences I've had in, in my own sport which mm -hmm. At the moment in terms of diversity is extremely like middle class white and, and and we're aware of that and i think the governing bodies are aware of that and there's therefore been a big push to sort of get more people from from different backgrounds and and different races basically to 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 be a part of the sport and i'm aware that a lot of the reasoning behind that is so that they can have like you know your tokenistic asian guy um riding a horse and that's good for the image of the sport and things like that but i think my point is that representation and and you know having a diverse image as it were mm. for for the public only goes so far in actual diversity and it's not tackling the root of the problem of say why is it that this sport is predominantly middle-class white why is it that um perhaps people from certain backgrounds don't even feel comfortable being part of that environment or or that is is that environment even open to them is are those doors open do they have access and i think access is another big part of it you know the barriers of entry to certain sports are much greater than others um and I think equestrian is is just a really straightforward example for that and it's quite easy because it's such an expensive sport mm. and therefore just that financial barrier is massive mm. um you know i know that i for sure wouldn't be able to do what i do without having the backing of well first the hong kong government but also all of my sponsors and horse owners and stuff and that's just to that's just to sit on my horses I need mm. all of that money behind me. And that's something that not, not many people get if you're not rich and you don't come from a wealthy middle-class background, but also yeah. the people then who are exposed to those worlds. Um, and it's a bit of a chicken and egg um, debate, but you know, it ends up being the case that because it's so expensive and, and there's such big barriers of entries just financially to begin with, the people in those worlds and the people who are involved in the world of equestrian sport are tend to be, you know, rich, middle class, live in the country, have a big manor house sort of vibe. And which is why I think, you know, and a, a few episodes back, we, we had a conversation with Khadija Mellon and talked about the importance of, of um, riding centers in, inner cities like ebony horse club and things like that and how that just opens doors to people and and if anything and, you know she she um founded the riding and dream academy which brings brings people from inner cities and and sort of underprivileged backgrounds into the world of racing and gives them opportunities there and yeah i think that work is is really important and i think we don't see enough of it or we don't value it enough in terms of giving people one the belief that 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 world is open to them and opening mm -hmm. that world to them opening those doors but also extending those opportunities to the people who otherwise wouldn't have those 
those opportunities given to them and just broadening the horizon. Yeah, and I think equality is such a broad strategic goal in general that it's always open for, like, we haven't realised for equality in, in, in really anything within within wider society, but within sport. And so so to use your sport as an example is, is a really good one because it, it is an exclusive sport in the sense that it costs tens of thousands of pounds sometimes to get a horse and then you've got to keep it somewhere and then you've got to have the time to, to ride it and then you've got to travel places i remember speaking to someone it was like a thousand pounds to fill up their their lorry uh, just for the petrol yeah, for one weekend and uh and so it is really exclusive in that sense but then i've only got limited experience of eventing i, I worked with an eventer for a little while um and but 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 what was really interesting was okay so it is a really exclusive sport but at the same time, um, there's gender parity in eventing. Women uh, riders are just as successful, if not more successful than, than, the, than the men. Um, you've got um, our most successful riders at the Olympics um, were, were state school educated, um, weren't, weren't the kind of eaten types that we like to imagine that eventing is. And then what was amazing is if, and, and not many people know that, I didn't know this before, going to events is I was at like a four-star event once and um, the first rider who went through was a previous Olympic athlete. Uh, the next rider was like amateur weekender rider who has pieced together their, their, their kind of their setup uh, competes at the weekend, but is competing on the same course at the same time with an, with an Olympic athlete. And so there are, there are aspects of, of eventing in the equestrian world that are like, Hey, that's like the embodiment of what we're trying to achieve. Um, but I also appreciate that on the other hand, there's this kind of, it is a really exclusive sport. It does uh, create huge barriers of entry. The idea that, that anyone can go and become an eventer is, is, is crazy because of the, the expenses. Um, so I think it is so broad that there's always gonna be room to say, well, hang on a second, eventing is really exclusive because of this, this, and this. But we're kind of maybe not realizing that there are, there's other aspects of it that are, are really encouraging. Um, and I think that the term equality, the, the terms equal opportunity and diversity are, are really interesting in themselves. Like it's a, it's a journey that certainly we've been through is to, okay, what are we talking about when we talk about um, equality and equality in sport? Um, and we've kind of hit upon sort of five kind of pillars to what we mean by equality. Um, so we've got sort of autonomy. That's the idea that everybody has sort of personal choice and self-determination um, and the freedom of and capacity to make the choices for themselves. Because I think to your point there, so often when it comes to underrepresented communities and groups, they're seen as a problem to solve. Okay, so how do we get more Asians in, in eventing? How do we get more uh, people of colour uh, com competing in equestrian sports. It's almost like a problem to be solved rather than saying, well, how do we create an environment or an ecosystem where people have the freedom to make those choices for themselves and their communities? And then the other pillars are um, sort of social justice. So the, the balanced distribution of resources and facilities, uh, opportunities and access to funding. Um, inclusion, so um, valuing and celebrating difference. Um, and that's really that's really topical at the moment, especially with like things like the trans inclusion debate. Um, dignity. Um, so how we how we ensuring that people are, are dignified in our pursuit of equality, um, and are we extending the same respect for other communities and groups that we have for ourselves? Um, that's very um, important to us. We we do a lot of work in the global south and in, with communities in sub-Saharan Africa, and I can't tell you how tiring it is to constantly see this. Um, this sort of encroachment on people's dignity when it comes to okay we're going to save these people now we're going to give them a bunch of trainers that we we deem unwearable for our kids but are, are wearable for these kids but what's more they've got to go on instagram and do a big kind of gratitude video and big smiling faces and make us feel good about ourselves um, and that's a heavy cost to pay in the pursuit of equality and then the last pillar of sort of how we define equality would be that kind of democracy so this idea that everyone is part of the part of the um, the conversation they're participating they've got a voice they're empowered um, but also there's a level of accountability from those in in positions of, of power so i think that when we talk about these really big lofty things like e equality is that we have to hone in on, on what exactly is on the table here what exactly are we talking about here because otherwise i think we get paralyzed by the idea we're not doing well we can kind of nit we can always nitpick 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's such a, a complex issue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's super interesting, and that's you know, yeah, I think it's really helpful as well to to the way in which you you break it down because, like you say, equality is such a a, a broad term and and broad loaded term that can mean a lot of different things. And I think the way you break it down like that is 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 really important and helpful. And and um, th- so what really struck out to me one of the one of the things was was when you talked about dignity and i think that's somewhat of an issue in in charity work in general um is that uh, and and from personal experience like many years ago before i went to uni i did a gap year wanting to to do some volunteer work and things like that and just trying to find real volunteer work that yeah. was actually helpful and could make a difference even if it's a small difference that was extremely challenging and I was lucky to be guided by a lot of people in order to help me find the 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 right one but there was so much sort of um you know stuff that just like you say people people from uh you know rich backgrounds and people from the UK or the US who, who want to go go and and do something for these people that need help to go save them for a week and then in return feel good about themselves and a lot of um charities and organizations kind of perpetuate that and exacerbate the the idea that these people are are people that aren't us and it's people who we have to go in and save um and the work you're doing they're they're really grateful for for you building them a toilet or something like that you know um and i think in many ways that's quite uh i'm sure you'd agree that's quite a sort of dangerous way to to look at things and and probably unhelpful and unproductive in trying to promote equality um, well, it's, yeah it's, it's entrenching this this hierarchy it's, 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 it's this them and us thing again um and i think that you're right i think charity of old has been like completely fixated on this idea of, of savior um and i think unfortunately like sport and sports development is is probably the last refuge for this mentality that it's not only tolerated but celebrated this idea that um oh in my gap year i went over and i, I taught street kids how to play football and it's like you didn't they then everyone knows how to play football <laughs> um <laughs> You, you, you added zero value you've got to line your cv which eventually helped you on your ucas form essentially um <laughs> and uh and i think this this savior mentality is is a prevailing sort of approach in in sport and, and that's why it's so important for us at equisport is that almost the first thing i ever say when we're talking to a new partner or when we're talking to a new uh, supporter is that that we don't represent any community or any person around the world we don't talk on behalf of anybody else that's a flawed theory of change what we do is we represent a, a certain set of values um, and that what we want to do is bring people into the conversation as equals and so we don't have beneficiaries we have partners and we don't have the idea that we're going to go and save anybody we have programs and tools uh, that we use in order to empower those to determine their own future so a big part of our work is is through grants and to our mentorships and the like but we say well these people in their localities know exactly what they need to do they're just missing pieces of the jigsaw um that 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 we can help with um but they're we're engaging with them as as equals and we're engaging with them in the same way as i'd engage with a local football team um in 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 the town here um and so i agree like so it's this kind of there's a, there's a definitely a tension there between or there's there's a line to be drawn here um between solidarity and savior and i think that what's above my desk is is what we talk about a lot internally is is solidarity over savior solidarity over savior we've got to make sure that we're acting um not not as them and us but as a us as a kind of together what, what are we trying to trying to solve here and what can what value can we bring to these conversations what value can we bring to these programs um 
Yeah, no, but that, I agree. That's amazing. I, I just wrote down solidarity over savior because I think love it. Yeah, good, <laughs> good thing to keep in mind. Um, but you know, to bring back something that you mentioned earlier as well, with you know, getting more people involved, getting more diversity in the sport isn't. It's not a problem to be solved. It's mm. it's about autonomy and p- giving people the freedom to choose what they want to do, giving them the opportunities in, mm. in order for them to, to choose what they want to do and do something that they're passionate about. And, and so I think to go back to, you know, things like Ebony Horse Club and things like that, it's, it's not the case that it's, it's a big problem that we don't have inner city underprivileged kids getting into equestrian sport. It's, mm the fact that and actually the conversation with Khadija that we had really sort of shifted my perception on this a little bit because I was I would say previously of the idea that you know because of the barriers of entries that we talked about especially in our sport are we sort of setting these kids up for failure in the sense that you're exposing them to this but then going like actually you can't really do this because you know it's still fucking expensive and um (laughs) But what she said and what I've, I came to realize was that, first of all, one of them is kind of internal to, to the work itself and the other is a bit external. But the fact that these kids are given the opportunity to, to find something that they love doing and to be able to go and do that after school instead of whatever else they might be doing um, in itself is intrinsically valuable and it's something that can't be taken for granted it's something that everyone everyone should have opportunities to to find the things that they want to do and and have the freedom to to realize what they're passionate about um you know and the other aspect of it and more externally is that just by creating that environment and having people from an extremely diverse background within the same environment creates sort of a hub of opportunity and and these people are one given opportunities and having doors open to them within the sport you know we talk about um, the riding a dream academy that gets people into the racing industry with different trainers and different different racing stables and things like that but also also outside of the sport like just because you ride horses twice a week when you're a teenager, that doesn't mean that you have to be a professional equestrian athlete when you grow up. But the people that you meet and the opportunities that, you know, the, the world that you, you're accessing and the, the opportunities that you come across eventually do allow you to see other opportunities and mm-hmm. people that you meet can, can extend, you know, resources and opportunities from from all other sectors and and areas of the world and so i think related to that like do you think that there should be more of a push from maybe even governing bodies of sports uh, to to create those environments and those opportunities for people and connor you spoke about um a couple of days ago uh, in a conversation that we had about um in sports like luge where where countries actually help other countries and athletes from different countries in accessing the sport and accessing training and things like that and how helpful that is and you know is that sort of the direction that we want to be going yeah um sorry i thought i thought tim was going to jump in there but no i was uh i kind of alluded to you sean that after coming back from the games, we kind of had two options for one of my athletes. It was either try and get sponsorship so she can get paid for actually doing her sport. Cause the, the issue with luge is that the majority of small nations are, are self-funded uh, with the likes of obviously Germany, Canada, uh, Austria, America, they're big funded nations. And rightly so, you know, they, oh, I say rightly so, but, they go out and win medals and they, you know, they do that. And obviously Luge Island being what now about 18 months old, 
we're very new to the scene and Elsa being a qualified doctor luckily has enough money behind her to, to put that into her own sport. But, you know, we had this conversation where it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be the case that obviously she is very lucky in the fact that she has that money to put behind her. But, you know, it's very different when you, you get to that level where you have the German team and one of their sleds costs half a million and that's just the sled that they're sat on and hers costs about five grand which she's had passed down to her from a romanian friend and you know and she she doesn't like talking bad about it because you know ultimately she's happy that she's just there and competing with the big with the big girls but um I mentioned obviously sponsorships as one side and then partnerships, which is the other side. Now, ultimately it's great if you get paid to do your sport because, you know, you have to make a livelihood at the end of the day. And I know capitalism is another issue, but you know, you still have to get paid regardless of whether capitalism is something that you don't agree with or not. Uh, And then on the flip side, the partnerships is essentially you send out these packets to different nations. You go, hey, we'd love to join your team, Uh, the coach, et cetera, then basically train you up and you join their team. Uh, Mm. And you you don't have to pay. And I, I, I mean, there's about 600 luge competitors in the world. So it's a very small sport. It is a winter sport. So the entry to the barrier to entry is... I wouldn't say similar to, to equestrian, but you know, it's, there's a lot less people than say lacing up some football boots and playing football with, with some mates. Obviously there's, there's other issues involved there as well. Um, Yeah. So I just found it interesting that these nations would almost provide help to smaller nations to say, Hey, look, come join our team. And you know, you should pose the question, but why would they do that? Well, First of all, if they do that, it grows the sport. And second of all, you know, they don't, what I love about it is they don't share that information. They don't go, oh, hey guys, look, we're supporting all these athletes. Like, look at us, we're absolutely fantastic. You know, maybe you should give us more money. You know, they might do that behind closed doors. I don't know because I'm not at that level, but, you know, and the second thing as well uh, is on the world stage, if Germany had, just three athletes in luge it wouldn't be the event that it is and so giving that equal opportunity to those athletes from small nations and big nations makes the sport so much better for everybody um yeah i just wanted to kind of share another personal story no no i love it and i I think it it, but that for me is that's what sport should encompass this idea of we're accepting international competition. So Mm. global sporting competition is, is huge. It's what we in sport at at least at the elite level kind of live for. But what's, what's amazing is if we accept international competition, then we should accept international solidarity. And Mm. and that screams that your example there just kind of screams of that. And it's like, well, how do we ensure that we can kind of create, an ecosystem that is is sustainable for for one thing in the sense of it's got competition varied competition um but also that, it, that it's growing and i think that it's a little bit similar to um the problem that the rugby has always faced and continues to face is that there's like three countries in the world that care um and to grow that sport beyond that there's got to be a level of solidarity there's got to be a level of 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 trying to level up the playing field and you see that when um i think it was either Samoa or Tonga came to play at Twickenham and the uproar within the rugby world when it was kind of realized that, well, England were going to make millions out of this fixture and Samoa were going to make nothing. Um, and then eventually the RFU agreed to sort of to, to share some of the profits and to, to bolster uh, support for the Samoan opinion. And, and so I, I think that these are perfect examples of how we can reshape sport and the future of sport that, incorporate these values of of equal opportunity of sort of solidarity over this kind of win at all costs mentality um so i think that's a, a reason to be hugely optimistic um and i'm sure there's that as, as you alluded to there's there's huge barriers to entry in these some of these sports and stuff but i think the, through this kind of program we then start to shift thinking and start to shifting sh- shift narratives around okay what does 
sport really mean and how cool is it that hey this this is an irish uh luge uh athlete who's actually been training with with the german team and, and that's growing the sport and all this stuff that's that's for me the kind of things we should be celebrating yeah yeah absolutely yeah, no, that, that's incredible. And I think um, actually a good point that you bring up with, with rugby um, mm. and, you know, the Six Nations is on at the moment. And before every game, we, put, we see on the screen rugby against racism. Um, and what does that mean? You know, how important? I, I fully agree that it, shifting the narrative is extremely important, but it can't be the only thing, right? Because we can all be saying rugby against racism, but, you know, behind closed doors, like the Pacific Island teams are making no money from, from fixtures against the, you know, the, the top nations that are playing. And, and I, I don't know if you've seen um, the documentary as well, um, Oceans Apart, um, but, you know, all the work that, that Dan Leo is, is doing for Pacific Islanders and Pacific Island rugby teams and players to promote sort of equality for them within the rugby world. And it's just little things, well, not little, but it's things that people maybe don't realize is the fact that, you know, these Pacific Island boys who want to play rugby and make money for their family um, choose to move to say European teams in France or move to New Zealand to play for New Zealand. But then there's rules um, in like Australia and New Zealand where once you, play for them you can't then go back and play for your own country um which i think is is ridiculous so you know we can talk about how like we want to shift the narrative and how we want to get people to all get behind and be be led by these these shared values um how do we do that and you know how far how far can that take us you know like what is the power of using using sports as uh, as a way of of making this social change and and shifting um the biases and 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 the and and the values of people to to promote all these these things like equality and diversity that that we want to do yeah i think those those kind of like shows of solidarity like you see that um rugby against racism thing um i, I think that the, I think they are important and I think that um, I, I'm kind of a, an idealist when it comes to this kind of thing. I think that they do spark the kind of conversations that we that we want to be having um, around around issues like racism and stuff. Um, now, I, I get that they can appear tokenistic and I can I can understand that sort of, oh, it's like almost like a tick box. OK, yeah, we've got to do this bit now and then we go and play the game. But I think it is they are important gestures, but also appreciating they are just those gestures in isolation um but i but i think when it comes to to shifting narratives we've we've got to we've almost got to rewind a little bit and say well the 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 things like rugby against racism and stuff almost what we're trying to to espouse what we're trying to advance is this idea that everybody is is born equal and born equal in in, in status and rights um and i think that those those things are important to keep on kind of hammering away at almost pounding that rock until you get breakthroughs with people um to 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 really start to recognize that okay people are are equal in status are equal in rights and and what does that mean um for sport and what does that mean in my day-to-day life and i think those things those things are really important but it, it doesn't it doesn't detract from the fact that they have to be then supported by um by other things it can't just be kind of a litany of gestures yeah yeah for sure and you know that that brings us to to the point of yeah like you say a big majority of, of the world and, and the, our community do believe in inequality and benevolence and, and those values so what can and maybe you know i hope that this conversation has maybe illuminated some of the some of those inequalities and um some of those things that are happening just within sports which is sort of you know i see it like a microcosm to to greater society but so with that like what are things that 
that people can do and, and what are things that people can do to get involved with you know equity sport or, or get involved in in driving those values and, and creating that sort of change that we want to see yeah well i think sort of beyond to export i think everybody can mobilize to have these conversations and that's so important because so much of this stuff is um behind the scenes so we we tend to put on a a a different face in 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 public spaces when it comes to things like equality and diversity um, so I think that the, the first thing that people can do is, is speak out and speak up for um, these kind of conversations. So ha- be, be bold enough to, to speak honestly and truthfully about your thoughts around equality, because the majority of people are very supportive of this idea that the people are all equal. Um, so have these conversations, have these conversations with, with, with different people. Um, listen, particularly to those groups and those communities who are most afflicted by these things um and take your lead uh, essentially from them um but in terms of 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 maybe ways in which you you'd want to get involved with with equity sport so we really want to uh be a be a catalyst to to a movement for change um and so do do take a look at our website and the like and do become part of of what we're doing through the various schemes we have we have a, a um i think a community called squad um, and we want to be both funded, but also um, guided by um, everybody, by sort of vast swathes of, of people giving sort of pocket change donations, but also sort of having an input in in the way that we the way that we organise, the way that we uh, operate, the kind of programmes that we're we're doing. Um, and I think if we can do that, if we can create momentum behind these things, then 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 that's the key key to change but i think we've got to have have these conversations in in the light of day and in 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 the open rather than sort of letting it be the kind of that that tick box or that inconvenience or what's more likely is people get very nervous about talking about these things particularly if they happen to be from a background of privilege is this sense of oh i can't talk about that because i'm gonna i'm gonna get into some some bits that i don't really understand i really i really don't know about and i think that we've got to be confident enough to speak and to listen um, and to have these conversations because I think that most people are coming from a really good place with it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think convers- like opening up that conversation, that dialogue is so important to, to enacting the change that we want, right? And look, Tim, like we, I, I think we could continue talking for for hours um, on this, but unfortunately, like we've run out of time. Um, but I just wanted to say from from my side like what an amazing conversation that was and, and it's opened my eyes to a lot of aspects of uh, of of what we want to talk about with with equality and, and diversity and what sports can do and the power of of sports i think you know it's really interesting as well that a lot of a lot of sports and and sporting worlds share similarities in ways in which we can drive change here just in this conversation. We talked from equestrian to luge to rugby and and, and all of these communities are, are part of the greater sporting community, which is part of the greater just world we live in in general. And I think, yeah, like you say, the world in which um, sports is part of society, it can be a great way to drive social change and, and make a difference. So yeah no thank you so much for for being here and, and sharing this conversation with us um and yeah to wrap up like do you want to just tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find equity sport or plug all that as well sure. in the description and stuff sure well firstly thank you so much for having me i've really enjoyed it i like having conversations where we can just kind of explore uh so it's been great and I, I appreciate you guys sharing um some of your experiences and your some of the anecdotes as well it's, been um, insightful for me as well so absolutely so if people want to find out a little bit more about equity sport the, the first portal call is probably our website equitysport.org um, so log in there and you can find out about who we are what we do um, how we do it and where we stand on certain issues and then obviously we're on all the social medias um, so we're probably most active on on twitter um, so do follow us at equity sport um, but we're also on Instagram, Facebook and the like. Uh, it'd be great to to hear from people what they think about what we do. Um, we're a very small organisation, so um, we are 
very much in touch with those who, who are supporters of our, of our work and we welcome input and feedback and the like so, so do get in touch uh, do give us a follow if you can um, and uh, yeah I hope to hope to meet some of your listeners uh, in the course of our work amazing Absolutely. thank you very much yeah thank you so much from my side as well Tim it was uh, for me always it's always hard to kind of differentiate the black and white of things like this and so i think to have someone as experienced as you to come on and you know kind of break that barrier down and you know talk about these issues because i always talk to them about you Shran, but yeah anyway appreciate your time thank you so much for coming on so you do you want to plug where people can find you yeah so on instagram i am at yushan.su.eventing on facebook i am yushan.su.eventing and my website is suyushaneventing.com what about you Connor? mine is at Connor Lift Stuff on instagram and at stoic strength systems on instagram and we was also just set up a patreon under the same name stoic strength systems so give those a follow i will put the links all down in the description if i figure out how to do it thank you for listening to this episode Make sure you like, share, and subscribe to the podcast on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.